Hi, I'm Daniel Roberts, and you're listening to the Giving Town Podcast, where we share stories of hope and generosity in our wonderful community of Newburgh, Oregon, and the surrounding area. So in part one, Carrie Bates shared her incredible story about growing up with an alcoholic parent, her journey to the Olympics, and her battle with alcoholism. If you haven't listened to that yet, go back and do that now before listening to this one. So in part two, Carrie shares about the work she does now to help others battling this disease of alcoholism, including her work with the Hazelden Betty Ford Foundation. Also, this podcast is sponsored by my real estate team, the Joyful Roberts Group. And like I mentioned in part one, I love this community and I love helping people move here. So that's kind of what I'm all about is helping people know about what's happening here, why Newburgh is such a great place to be and all the wonderful people that make this town uh, such a wonderful place to live. So if you know anyone moving here, feel free to send them my way. I'd be happy to help out. We also have a lot of great resources on our YouTube channel. Um, But ultimately what I want to do here is to share the positive stories of people like Carrie and the workshop she's doing. So here is our conversation. Can you share some of the work? I know we've talked a lot about the story up to now, but can you share now what you're involved in and the work that you do to help sure. people who are recovering? Sure. Um, I work for Hazel and Betty Ford, I'm, um, which is, I actually got sober at the Betty Ford Center in 2012. So when they offered me a job, I was shocked to say the least. Um, it was years into my recovery but it, in a way, it really did feel like coming home. I was a patient here in the Newburgh, in the Newburgh site a couple times as well before I got sober. And um, I work with all of our professional reference now. So in a nutshell, I, I help people find treatment every day. And what a gift that is, you know, to be able to um, use my own life experience to help somebody else that's in their darkest time of their lives. Um, Nobody's checking into treatment on an upswing in their life. Um, I work directly in hospitals to try and um, work on stigma in the emergency rooms and things like that because the staffs are tired. They're seeing the same people all the time. Um, You know, I do a lot of public speaking, as you know. Um, I just recently got back from Washington, D.C., where we were able to do some advocacy work on Capitol Hill with some of the congressmen and congresswomen on um, access to care, um, equality for everyone to have, you know, care for everybody, um, which was super, super exciting. You know, the last time I was in Washington, D.C. was 38 years ago when they flew us in there as an Olympian to go to the White House. And here I was on Capitol Hill um, what a full circle moment that was in yeah. my life to stand on those capital stairs and wonder how, how did I get here? And then that, that overwhelming feeling of this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. So what was that like? I mean, you're, you're, you just mentioned you had this whole full circle moment. Um, and I mean, I'm sure that just felt so s- surreal. It was ways. surreal. Yeah. It was surreal because, um, you know, it, it made me realize that the Olympics, I believe, really happened to serve the role that I play in today. Yeah. Right. It gave me a platform to which people maybe are a little more attentive because of my athletic experience. But really, the message is not about athletics. It's about addiction and recovery and right. stigma and shame and, you know, people getting help. And yeah. that's really my that's really my message. Yeah. And I think this, I mean, to me, the initial, I've heard your story a couple times now, but I think one of the initial shocks would be 
Olympian and alcoholic don't seem to go together. Most mm-hmm. people have in their minds that an alcoholic is someone who's had, you know, a terrible life, nothing's gone well. And so they just kind of, um, you know, granted there were hard things that happened, like sure. you mentioned, like not making the team, but, um, do people express that shock or surprise of, wait, you were an Olympian and like, yeah. this doesn't fit in my brain. Right. So, right. which gives you an even greater platform, I think, to share, like you said, that yeah, because people... it makes you realize that I'm no different than anybody mm-hmm. else, right? I put my pants on one one leg at a time every day. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I really feel that I am just an ordinary alcoholic that was able to accomplish some really extraordinary things in my life, but that I'm I'm no different than anybody else. Yeah. You know, and I think really when we talk about that full circle moment of being uncomfortable with fame and being an introvert and all those things, um, you know, the Olympics and being an Olympic gold medal medalist has been a blessing and a curse for me for 38 years. You know, um, all the things I learned to do to be an Olympic champion, you know, self-sufficiently, self-sufficiency, um, hard driving, self-motivated, self-driven, self, 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 Mm. you know, there's none of that in recovery. It's we, right. And so everything that served me as an athlete are the very things that nearly killed me as an alcoholic, you know, that I didn't know how to ask for help. Yeah. I thought if I just worked somehow worked harder to be sober, I could just be sober. Yeah. You know, that if I could be the best in the world at something, I could surely figure out this thing I have with not being able to stop drinking. Yeah. So now how amazing to not only be able to work on a policy level at the highest levels of government, but also to work kind of in the trenches with people at, um, at Hazel and Betty Ford. So describe, well, first, I guess, describe what is Hazel and Betty Ford? Mm-hmm. How do they actually help people, um, going through recovery, experiencing addiction, and then what is your role within that? Yeah. So Hazel and Betty Ford's been around for over 70 years. We're a nonprofit treatment organization that specializes in substance use disorder and also co-occurring mental health disorders. We're a national system of care. So we're located in several states in the country. In Oregon specifically, we have all levels of care here from medical detox, residential here in Newburgh, um, there's a level called day treatment with housing in Newburgh. And then we also have a step down level of care into the intensive outpatient, outpatient levels of care. So you really can stay engaged in services for years if you, if you so yeah. choose. Um, because, you know, really what we're trying to do is move people from a clinical um, care need to a self care need. Right. Mm -hmm. So however long that takes at whatever level of care they're in is Mm -hmm. that that's kind of the goal of where we're trying to get people. Explain that. What does that look like? So when people come into treatment, they're pretty dependent on treatment. Mm -hmm. You know, they've in most cases, not all um, have lost jobs, stopped working, calling in sick, fractured relationships with family, um, legal issues. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on of the, of the damage that we do while we're using. Mm-hmm. So when they come in, it's like being in no different than being in the emergency room or in the hospital for, you know, however many days, if you have 
um, something happen with your diabetes or your heart disease or you have a heart attack. Mm, yeah. You know, it's the really acute level of care where we we're really getting these people through the through the urgent part of detox mm, yeah. safely with medication to get them away from the medications. And then we begin the, the, the healing processes yeah. and groups and individual therapy, learning tools about recovery, the brain piece of addiction, all of it. Yeah. And so that's the really acute part of care. And then just like if you have heart disease or you have a heart attack and you have surgery and then you discharge, well, there's an mm -hmm. aftercare plan, right? You have to eat this and you have to come into the clinic once a week and we're going to check your blood pressure and same thing with addiction. You know, we have the, the, those levels of care once you leave the residential center yeah. so that you're still going to groups a couple times a week. You're still checking in. You're still getting drug tested. You know, these types of things, which is part of their aftercare plan. Yeah. No different than any other fatal, progressive, and um, incurable disease. Yeah. Do you find, because something like a heart attack or um, a stroke or something where it's it's very tangible, mm -hmm. what, you know, blood pressure, okay, what are your insulin levels, whatever it might be. Sure. Whereas with addiction... It's, it seems to me not having gone through it, but that you're almost having to gauge, okay, what are your, what are your hope levels? What are your, mm -hmm. um, like, what are your grit levels or what, you know, mm -hmm. it's like you're having to measure something that's maybe, um, a little bit more difficult. Cause you mentioned if someone's experiencing a lot of shame still, mm -hmm. then it might be harder for them to, to actually break out of this. Whereas if they have hope and the confidence, so how do you, how do you deal with that? Is that, are the, and my, you Maybe are, I'm okay. not, and I'm not a clinician, sure. so I'm okay. not a clinician that can talk about clinical stuff, but right, I can tell right. you through my own experience. Um, yes, you are, you are right, but there is a criteria, a national criteria okay. that is out there of which you have to qualify for a residential treatment, okay. right? So there's a, a bunch of questions. You go through a whole screening with the certified counselor and then okay. they make a then they make a recommendation of a level of care gotcha. of which you okay. of which you kind of qualify for, but in general you can only imagine when people are getting to residential treatment, the wheels have pretty much fallen off the bus. You know we're unable to kind of manage what's going on in our lives anymore. Um, mm -hmm. It can be a reason for all the reasons I listed before. Some people might get nudged by the judge to get to treatment because they had a DUI or. Families might say, you need to go to treatment or we're getting a divorce or, yeah. you know, there's a whole host of reasons that people get there. And that's where when they get to treatment, it doesn't really matter why or how, what, what was the precipitating event? Mm -hmm. What matters is to get them with the professionals and they can start kind of peeling away that giant onion, right? It's a giant onion, and in the middle lies the causes and conditions of why we drink and drug. Mm -hmm. But the layers, my dad died. I had, a, you know, somebody might have been abused as a child, sexual assault. You know, these are all layers of the onion that are the causes of, that caused us to drink. But what's in the middle? Mm -hmm. And that's where we get, that's where the treatment really starts to heal. Yeah. So I know we talked about um, earlier about 
some of the some of the specific tools and I know you just mentioned them a little bit can you share, elaborate on like what that looks like and what you find um, really is like the main things that you do as an organization to help people through that process if there's any elaboration that needs to be done sure I mean really at the end of the day we have every level of care that you need and we have wonderful dual licensed providers and really the thing that matters the most is that people are willing and they come to treatment and they tell their truth. Yeah. Because really you can have the best counselors, the best therapists, the best mental health providers, which we have all of that at Hazelwood. Mm-hmm. But really it comes down to the work that we're willing to do as the alcoholic and addict. You know, the first few times I went to treatment, I wasn't honest. Yeah. I didn't tell my truth because I was too ashamed. Yeah. Oh my gosh. What will they think of me if I tell them what I did? Hmm. And then slowly but surely, I learned that I'm not going to tell those people anything they haven't heard before me. (laughs) And I'm the one staying sick. So it's all about being honest, being transparent, and having just a shred of willingness to maybe learn some things that we don't know. Do you feel like there's certain characteristics or attributes that help someone get past that point? I don't. Hmm. I don't think so. I think that we all have our levels of brokenness. Hmm. And, um, and our own levels of, you know, that's like asking the question of why do some of us make it and some of us don't. Hmm. And I wish I knew the answer to that because I've, I've known a lot of people that I've lost to this, to this disease. And, um, sometimes I think we get tired, you know, we're tired. We don't have any more fight left in us. And so people lose their lives because there's no more fight left, right? We've tried and tried and tried to get sober and some people don't get it. And then some people do. Yeah. So really the ones that do get to carry the message for those that don't. Yeah. And speaking of that, the people getting it, people not carrying the message. um, We talked earlier about some of the misconceptions publicly as a whole that probably don't help the recovery process because when you're hearing messages of your terrible mother, your horrible woman, whatever that might be, mm-hmm. that doesn't really encourage people to want to get treatment. So how can, I guess, we as a society and culture begin to talk and speak differently about this to remove some of those barriers yeah. that are just piling on that shame? Yeah. You know, language really matters around this. Um, you know, instead of maybe being negative about someone seeking treatment, you know, it should be more things like going to treatment is the bravest thing you'll ever do. And it truly is. I mean, going to treatment is terrifying and it's, it's so scary to do it. People are leaving their families and everything they know and love to go into a treatment center and they're terrified. Mm -hmm. You know, I use language like, um, I'm so proud that you're willing to make this decision for yourself um, about, um, you know, it all goes back to language and how we frame it to people. There's nobody that hates an addict more than the addict hates themselves. So there's no reason to pile more negativity and um, stigma and shame and language at that person. It's not going to motivate them more to get help. It may do the opposite. Especially when you mentioned that the ultimate goal of addiction is death. Very closely linked to hate. Hate and death are kind of intertwined. Mm -hmm. So if the ultimate goal is death and you're piling on hate, you're only furthering 
them towards because hate just leads right on to death too and just a sure way. it can especially with people that are pretty broken as it is you know mm-hmm. but like i said there there's nobody that hates the addict worse than the, the addict hates themselves right so i mean i remember everyone sh- what you know when people wanted to show me hate i just would sit there and say yeah i get yeah. it i'm awful yeah i get it i'm awful yes i agree with you mm-hmm and people don't get that they think, well, if you knew you were awful, why would you? Why don't you stop? Why don't you stop? Which is, you know, so much of the, um, there's kind of two, I see it like a, a pendulum, like, um, like with self-help books, personal development, there's one end of people being in denial mm-hmm. of, they say, there's nothing wrong. I'm, I'm totally yeah. fine. And people say, no, you need to own up to, you know, like you need to own up to what's actually going on in your life. Mm-hmm. The other end of that is I'm so rooted in self-hate and shame that I just can't even imagine myself being better. I'd like to, but the shame just keeps drawing me towards. There's kind of like these two sides of negative behavior, again, with any type of addiction, mm-hmm. any bad habit. Um, and so I feel like there has to be some level of, you have to own up to truth, reality, acknowledge the problem while also somehow having the hope of a better future. That's just kind of how, how I see it. But I see two ends of the spectrum. People say, no, you need to be more positive and optimistic. And other people say, no, you need to, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Um, but I think both extremes are kind of missing yeah. what's really needed. Do yeah. you see that I think that, um, I think that all we need every day to stay on track in anything in our life is 51%. Hmm. There's, there's not a day that, I mean, some days maybe I'll wake up and I'm 99% in, you know, Yeah. but in anything in life, you're not going to get 99 or a hundred percent every day. Mm-hmm. And that could be about being a parent or a, you know, spouse or your job or anything, you know, but as long as we stay above 50%, if, if as long as we stay 1% above more that we want to stay sober than what we want than we want to use mm-hmm. then we'll make it through another day sober yeah but this whole notion that you have to be all in and they have to be all committed or they're or they're not worth helping i just don't subscribe to yeah. that and you mentioned one of the messages you want to get out for people either struggling with addiction or people who have a close family member or friend mm-hmm. who's struggling with addiction that you want to provide hope so what are some of those those things that what you know now what you've been through um, that gives you hope. Well, I know that if somebody had told me 11 years ago when I got sober that this, I would be sitting here doing something like this today, I would have laughed. Um, you know, I think that in early recovery, we're just so lost and we just hold on to any semblance of safety. Um, if somebody had told me when I left treatment almost 11 years ago to write a script of what my life would look like at two years and at five years and, I would have completely sold myself short because I think that when we're in it, life has gotten so dark and so lonely and sad that to think that there's a chance of having a full life sober is just so hard to imagine. Yeah. And so I like to say that there is this incredible life waiting for people seeking recovery that they, in this moment, they can't, they cannot wrap their brain around it. Yeah. And that's okay because we don't have to think about what life is going to be in five years. All we have to do is today. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm pretty sure I'm going to go to bed tonight and not take a drink. And I get to make that choice again all over. When I was drinking, I had no choices. Zero. Mm -hmm. I'd lost my ability to choose. I was completely... The disease had me by the throat. And my brain was altered enough that I had no ability to make choices. Now in sobriety and what people have to look forward to in sobriety is having choices. Hmm. Sobriety for me is freedom. It's away from that prison and bondage of addiction, that tiny world that we live in when we're addicted to this free life where we're not chained anymore by a bottle or a drug or a pill. We get to, we're, we're free to do and make decisions and choices like we never experienced when we were in the grips of addiction. Yeah. And so I believe that one of the biggest pieces of hope is freedom. Hmm. And our truth is the key to our freedom. So for someone who's, they're in the bondage right now, like they are experiencing extreme amounts of shame, self-hate. Maybe they're listening to this. They want to be better, but they're stuck. Mm -hmm. I mean, what do you say to those people right now? That they're not alone. And that there are so many resources and to reach out, pick up the phone, ask for help. There is no shame in asking for help. None. I'm, I'm an Olymp, three time Olympic gold medalist. I've been on a lot of teams in my life. I've seen the world. I've done a lot of amazing things, but I will tell you nothing, nothing makes me more proud than being a woman in recovery. Hmm. And that is far more important to me than any gold medals, anything other than the birth of my children. Yeah. And so they don't, if they're listening today, just know that you don't have to feel like this ever again if you don't want to. Hmm. It's powerful. Yeah. So I know we talked about so many different things and I um, would love to continue to go on, but as far as, with Hazel and Betty Ford, uh -huh. um, that is one of the amazing resources right here in our right community in of Newburgh. Mm -hmm. um, that can people just reach out and, and say, hey, you know, I I need help. What does that look yeah. like? Yeah, they can, of course, access our website, which is not just a website about what our treatment is. There's a ton of resources on that website, um, which is hazeldandbettyford.org. Um, we, there's also an admissions phone number on there that you can call and ask as many questions as you want about what treatment looks like. How much does it cost? Do we accept your insurance? You know, we're in network with all major insurance, mm -hmm. um, insurances. So that's usually never an issue. Um, and we also offer a free virtual family program mm -hmm. for the families of the alcoholics and addicts. I highly recommend it. It's a one-day virtual program. It's free, and you mm. don't have to have a patient in our care to wow. take advantage of it. You can use the website and sign up for that. We also have a, for a free virtual children's program. Mm. That's for ages 6 to 12, and those are the children of an alcoholic or an addict. Again, they don't have to be in our care. They don't have to be sober. Yeah. But the kids are always... The saying is the kids are the first affected and the last thought of. Hmm. So we really are trying to treat yeah. the whole family. Yeah. For someone who wants to learn more, or get more involved, are there ways for people to get involved with In the organization? Say like if they want to support it. Sure. 
I mean, we're a nonprofit, so mm-hmm. there's, you know, volunteer work, there's donations, there's all sorts of things, and all of that is accessible on our website. Okay, so go to the website and there will yeah. be options and yep. ways for it's people to get involved. Yeah, it's all there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, given what you know now, and how long have you been in Newburgh? As- oh, as in my job? Yeah, I guess. Did you did you move here for no, I've lived in Tualatin okay. for about 20 years. Okay. And um, I've been in this role for a little over four years with Hazelden. Okay. So given what you know now in your work here, what gives you hope for the future of Newburgh? Oh, I just think that, um, you know, I think that lives are changing. I think, you know, I know that we're working with Newburgh High School today on prevention work. We work with the students at George Fox. I mean, there's lots and lots of chatter about recovery in the community. Mm-hmm. It's become, you know, people know we're good neighbors. Um, you know, there, there's the, the Austin family obviously has been very involved in our um, treatment center. So, um, you know, I think that Hazel and Betty Ford has the ability to do nothing but grow. And our goal is to always serve more people in our own community as much as we can. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here, for sharing your story. Is there anything you'd like to close with that you'd like to share? I don't, I, you know, nothing specific. Just, you know, reach out if you need help and just know that that um, you are not alone. There's, there's people that are going to walk right next to you through this journey. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank Carrie. you so much. Thank you for tuning in to the Giving Town Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend who you think might benefit from hearing it. While more and more people are continuing to hear about this podcast, I still need your help to spread the message about all the people and organizations that make Newburgh so great. Well, thanks for tuning in and I'll catch you in the next episode.